What's up, everybody, and welcome back again to the end. I'm so happy to be bringing this next episode to you. It's one of the funniest ones, I feel like, has been laid out so far, and there's still many more chapters to go. I hope you've been enjoying it. I've been seeing a few good reviews come in through social media on Spotify or on iTunes podcasts. And thank you so much for every comment and share. It really helps. In fact, I found out that I was number uh, 88 in Christian and spirituality podcasts in South Africa. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. And like 232 in religion in Canada. So I was like, wow. That's weird, but all right. Praise God. Like, thank you for you who are there in South Africa, those in Canada. I, I, I don't mean it's weird that you're listening. It's just you never really think about how far your uh, voice might go. And so thank you. And hello to all my South African friends and the Canadians that are listening into this podcast. It's an honor for you to be hearing my voice from such a far distance away. Uh, Washington State here in the United States says hello. <laughs> anyway, I want to thank you again for tuning in to another chapter of the end. And please, if you if this has blessed you, be sure to, if you can, follow me on Instagram, kevin.scott.johnson, and I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to see your posts. I'd love to see how you share it and how it's impacted your life, if it's at least been entertaining. It's really just a blessing as we get the word out and our listenership keeps growing and growing, and I get to continue to create this passion project that I love and brings me a lot of joy. Without any more delay today, we're going to jump into chapter four of The End. I can't believe that we're almost already five chapters into this of a 35-chapter series for book one. I still got book two and book three that are in the current process of creation. I've got much of its content already laid out, so I can't wait for you guys to see those projects as they come along. And throughout the journey, I'm going to create some unique opportunities for people who maybe are really like super fans. You're really enjoying it. You want some of the back end of what I'm doing to see the process. Maybe you want to learn how to write your own book as well. I can't tell you how to write, but I could show you what I do and maybe inspire you because image really, when you see somebody sees something, image creates inspiration and desire. So when you see how it's done, you're like, man, I could do that. I'm not an audio editor. I'm not a video editor. Yeah, I've done stuff like that throughout my life here and there, but it's just a hobby and it's producing something really rewarding, honestly, for me and for you. So I just want to encourage you. You can do it too. If you have a story to tell, share it. Tell somebody. Find an avenue that works for you, that refreshes you to release it. Don't hold it back. As I continue down this journey of the book, each chapter has multiple images of custom artwork and designs. Yeah, some of them look more like doodles, but definitely keeping a theme for the styling. That really is episode art. And you'll see a new episode art on a few different episodes, but for the most part, I reserve that for the Instagram platform. And down the road, maybe some premium listeners that really have enjoyed it want to see some of the the, 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 the vision, the culture that surrounds it all. And maybe down the road, I'll let out some more of the extra artwork that's just kind of the personal inspiration for me while I'm recording the voices and acting them out and creating the scenes in my mind. But alas, here we are. Let's jump into chapter four of The End. We're going to hear a whole lot more from my good friend, Tony. The End, chapter four. Did they see me? Scanning the warehouse from right to left, 
I caught my breath while peering from behind a stack of old pallets. I could feel the beads of sweat dripping down the back of my head and neck, traveling between my shoulder blades to my lower back. This was a bad idea. Frick, Kevin, just get out of here before you get caught. They could be anywhere. My heart was racing. I could hear the sound of blood rushing in my ears, whooshing in and out, muting the sounds in the warehouse, like a kid stopping their ears repeatedly in a public pool, as if it was a real-life mute button on a TV remote. Why did I decide this could be a good idea anyways? This could literally jeopardize everything. My wife, my kids, my ministry, and my career, all of it could be destroyed in an instant. Everyone I know and love, it would all change. Hiding behind a giant stack of pallets, I wondered if I should just leave it all and run home. Apologize to my wife and kids for considering this as a viable option and entertaining the thought as far as I had. I was risking everything I held dear because of my hyperfixated curiosity. Until now, it had never occurred to me that it was likely some form of heart failure or aneurysm brought on by a full-blown panic attack that caused the untimely demise of the curious kitty of old. You're being irrational, Kevin. Come on, you can do this. I can't believe you're letting yourself cave to the pressure of unrealistic expectations and illogical, senseless panic. <sighs> Just catch your breath. Breathe. Be sensible. Breathe in. One, two, three, four, five. Breathe out. One, two, three. I closed my eyes and focused on my breathing to convince myself that it wasn't too late to just leave. And even if someone had seen me, I'd be alright. I needed my mind and heart to slow down enough to gain command of my feet, abandoning what I came here to do and making a dash for the exit. I took a few more slow, steady breaths, trying to clear my mind when I flashed back to a memory of the only other time in my life when I experienced a panic attack to this degree. I was 16 years old, in the middle of a remote village just outside Oaxaca in southern Mexico, in the middle of the night, standing in an open field, surrounded by wild dogs, unable to sleep on account of rehearsing the events of the last few days over and over in my head. That was supposed to be a wonderful life-transforming mission trip, like all good Christians do. Spending too much money to go paint buildings in another nation, come back complaining about how gross the food was, with no tangible transformation outside of a glimpse into a broader, global worldview, thus producing a form of elitism amongst my peers for a couple of months as I flex my experiential knowledge of how hard it is in other nations. It's not as if learning the skills to cover a stick-built shack with clay and mud is helpful in the United States. Preventing rain from coming into the one-room hut of an elderly South American widow does not prepare you to come back to your hometown in the middle of a city and apply those skills for the good of anyone. We spend more time evicting drug addicts from our city's native growth-protected wetlands for trespassing instead of helping them cultivate and develop their own Minecraft spawn village of debauchery, drug abuse, prostitution, and violence. The skills I obtained in Oaxaca just don't translate back to a first world city. I'm not against missions work, but for the student, global missions work is more about the individual going than the nation being impacted by them. Unless that kid chooses to go back as a lifetime missionary. I was called to this city, and the experience I was having in Mexico, I can now say, had no actionable impact on how I help the people in our town today. Quite the opposite, in fact. Clearly, I was still healing through the trauma of that trip, having been charged at by a rabid dog. Which, thankfully, my friend who had been living there for the entire summer knew what to do, and punted that beast as if it was a Super Bowl winning kick. And it was all up to this moment. Laces out.
I, on the other hand, was just about to go all divergent on that dog and lay down, letting him eat me. I didn't have the worldview to understand what was needed when facing the sad reality of a mentally unstable, wild animal suffering from rabies and mange. Four. Five. I took one more breath in and out, feeling my racing heart calm down as I processed what was left of that 16-year-old's panic attack far from home. I remember staring up at the full pale blue moon with dogs howling nearby, a warm breeze rustling the brush, unable to sleep on account of the millipede I just poured out from my sleeping bag minutes prior, and the scorpion that crawled out of my boot moments ago as if it was told to leave by God's merciful, inaudible voice, without which I otherwise would have stuffed my toes straight into its face. As the dog's silence fell in the field, the moon bathed everything with an eerie glow of darkness and shadows. I wondered if, at that moment, my parents were looking at the same full moon a little more than 3,100 miles away. And it was at that moment that panic crept in, and I was sure there would be no family left for me when I returned. This was the era of no cell phones, no social media. I had no way of knowing if America was facing a total economic collapse or not. I couldn't even shoot off a text to check in. Nothing. I simply would find out if my family somehow managed to live and not die in my absence upon the arrival at my gate four days from now, pending they show up to take me home or not. Not to mention my genuine concern for the success of the American Constitution and the competency of the presiding president to not allow a total meltdown and global war during my six-day absence from the United States. The next thing I remember from that moment was being dropped off at the nearest airport the following day. The missionary family checked me into my flight and waved goodbye as I boarded the small two-engine prop plane. Then, watching the Teochali Pyramid temples of the Aztecs pass underneath me while sipping a glass of orange juice on the first flight back to the States, where my mom met me in California for my layover. Five. Four. Three. I felt like I had gained control of my irrational fear, thoroughly embarrassing myself, recalling the emotional and financial toil I caused my parents and those poor missionaries. I counted down my last exhale, ready to make my move and get out of there. Two. One. Kevin! A giant hand placed itself on my shoulder as a man's voice called my name. <coughs> I screamed, shoving the full grocery cart away while turning around to see who was touching me. As I spun around, I began to slip, falling into the pallets of toilet paper and diapers in the back aisle of the busy Costco warehouse. Oh man, PK, are you alright? I didn't mean to startle you like that. I... A very familiar voice broke through amidst all the commotion I was causing, drawing eyes and smartphone cameras to capture and globally syndicate what was sure to be a fantastic viral fail. With not a few bulk packs of paper products continuing to rain down from above, I struggled to regain my dignity, attempting to thrust myself back up from the ground before some stranger or employee dared assist me with my social suicide. Cause of death? Embarrassment. The weapon that inflicted the damage? If keeping a low profile was my objective, I had utterly failed this mission. Hearing the echo of Solid Snake's infamous death cry reverberate in my head as I was now scrambling to find the restart mission option for my life. Snake, are you okay? Snake? Unfortunately for me, this was not a video game from my childhood in the 90s, and the only option available on the screen of my mind's eye was press A to continue. <clears throat> Tony? A bit muffled, I called out to the man hoping it was who I thought it was. Just because I now couldn't see everyone looking at me didn't mean it wasn't happening. 
And furthermore, I could not control what was happening around me, but I could influence the decision to get up now or not. I had decided this was not where my story ended, and to stop being an ostrich with its head in the sand. As much as I had hoped a pallet of water bottles from the top rack would dislodge itself, ending it all, sparing me from the social anxiety and humiliation of seeing all the faces and reactions of everyone who witnessed this event, Today just wasn't my day for that kind of luck. Thrusting my hand out through a gap in the paper towel and diaper boxes, a large hand grabbed hold, pulling me free from the wreckage with ease. Quickly adjusting my clothes and hair, I ensured nothing else was out of place that might add to my embarrassment. Looking up at my rescuer, it was my good friend Tony. You good, PK? Tony asked inquisitively while swiping a few dust bunnies off my shoulder. Uh, yeah, I I'm good. I are you good? Immediately trying to deflect, I tried to redirect the focus of attention off of myself and onto something or someone else. I mean, did you see that? Literally, I just turned around and stuff started falling. I was trying to catch it all, but... Now, I was patting the truth a little. Utilizing tactics designed for creating crime scene witnesses amidst a recent traumatic encounter, I began using the power of suggestion to influence the perception of what had just happened. I can't believe how they stack these products. When I was a truck driver, we had to restack these pallets of goods to prevent them from toppling over like this. Continuing to run my mouth and talk my way out of embarrassment, I began to walk with Tony away from the wreckage, saying, I'm glad you were here, though. You may have just saved my life. <laughs> do you have some grocery shopping left to do? I can help with that. Genuinely relieved that of all people to be there, it was Tony. He was about as genuine and true a friend one could hope for especially in situations like this where most friends would go on and on about how ridiculous you looked and laugh about it for years to come. In contrast, Tony was socially and relationally aware enough to interpret a situation and assess when jokes were good and when just changing the subject altogether was preferential. Having critically assessed that it was relationally in our best interest to immediately shift onto another topic, replying, Tony held up a bag of dog treats and said, I got what I needed. Nirvash had run out of his own things to destroy and since moved on to freely grazing upon whatever collectibles he deemed worthy of his vengeance. He even managed to obtain and take ownership of my ultra-rare Haikyuu Hinata Kagiyama Mikasa collaboration mascot volleyball from the top of my seven-foot bookshelf. No. Nirvash was not an Irish wolfhound, which stands seven feet tall on its hind legs. Nirvash was a smooth fox terrier, weighing only about one pound per inch of height. 14 inches tall and 14 pounds on a fat day. Tony blames himself for his dog's superpowers and therefore doesn't blame the dog for utilizing his gift. After all, Tony named him after the giant cloud-surfing biomechanical hybrid super mech from the anime Eureka 7. Hey, isn't that your cart though? Tony motioned towards the abandoned cart partially buried in diapers and butt wipes. Uh, <laughs> nah, I, I mean, yeah, but I changed my mind. I, I don't need it. I parried his interrogation, trying to continue moving away from the contents of my grocery basket. Did he see what was in there? I thought to myself. Is it too late? Maybe he'll just go along with it and assume the best. Further reasoning with myself, attempting to not turn back to the cart lest I fear being turned into a pillar of salt. Oh, okay. What about all the stuff that's in there? Do you want help putting it back? No, I insisted, a little more defensively than I intended to. <sighs> I mean, sorry. No. That's job security, right? Somebody gets paid to return these abandoned carts and... Tony wasn't buying it. While I was mid-sentence, he began to walk back towards my abandoned shopping spree. Tony, wait, uh, I... <sighs> Tony began unbearing the cart while restocking the various paper products near where they belonged before the collapse of my social anxiety. 
Being thrown back into my near panic attack with no time to count down from five or even from three, I came to grips with the reality of telling the whole truth to one of my best friends in hopes that he, number one, believes me, and number two, doesn't judge me. This was the actualization of every prefabricated, preconceived, worst case scenarios I had painted in my head. And now, it was no longer a fabrication of my mind, but a reality I was about to endure. Uh, let me help. Defeated, I started helping restack the product, knowing what Tony was about to discover. Clink, clink. The sound of clanging glass bottles began to shuffle in the bottom of the cart. No turning back now, I thought. Wow, Tony gasped. You working on a science project or something, PK? Unearthing 24 Costco-sized bottles of Kirkland brand vodka, featuring 1.75 liters each, a whopping 42 liters of pure grain alcohol. That is just over 11 gallons of grandpa's cough syrup. With my shopping cart looking like I had dinner plans with the famous wrestler and actor Andre the Giant, who regularly consumed 11 bottles of wine with his dinner, and having been known for drinking 40 vodka tonics in one sitting. I appreciated Tony's ability to assume the best of me rather than conclude that I must be submitting my application for Hollywood's next celebrity pastor by throwing big mixer parties following my sermons, or assuming that I'm secretly a severe alcoholic. <laughs> I nervously cleared my throat, realizing that I am neither guilty of being a closet drunk nor attempting to live a double life. I embrace the whole truth. Actually, yes, science of sorts, I replied with a little more enthusiasm. Well, I had a guest on my podcast and he's a survivalist of sorts. Anyways, he's sent me a bunch of recipes to make up all kinds of natural medicines to replace everything we might regularly use for like colds, allergies, fevers, headaches, even hormone balancing tinctures and prescription drug replacements. My excitement began to overtake my insecurities about what people might think if they saw me, their child's youth pastor purchasing gallons of vodka at the big box store. The crippling fear of man had me constantly chasing the approval of others, which motivated me to achieve this level of success in my life I had at this time. However, it kept me from really enjoying said life as it was more for everyone else than me. I kept myself in prison there with the guise that it wasn't for me anyways. It was for the cause of Jesus and the people he's called me to serve. I pulled out the notes on my phone and started showing Tony the recipes as I continued explaining precisely what I was doing, but now a little louder than needed, just in case someone else who knew me was listening. You see here, this recipe literally stops diarrhea in its tracks. And this one helps with the ADHD parts of my brain without pharmaceuticals or controlled substances. Genuinely impressed, Tony tossed his dog treats into the basket, taking my phone to continue reading through all the potential remedies. Being a video game designer himself, having developed and released multiple highly successful crafting-based strategy games, this real-life project was definitely up his alley of interest. Do they have any recipes to stop dogs from flying? Tony jested. Ha! But seriously, PK, this is awesome. Here's one that cures the inside of your lip when you accidentally bite it. Getting ever more excited, now at the self-checkout kiosk, I began ringing up the booze, adding the dog treats to my bill as a small thanks for Tony's encouragement. Tony carried on. Hey, you think it'll work on this? Awkwardly pulling his bottom lip down, bending over so I can see the inside of his mouth, as he is a solid foot taller than me, peering inside the pinky white flesh of his outstretched lip amidst the shoppers awkwardly staring at us, I observed a small gash, likely from an overly hungry chewing maneuver or an elbow to the face while playing basketball. While looking closer, the cashier clerk interrupted. <clears throat> Confused, she politely made her presence known, then proceeded to ask, Excuse me, sorry, um, I can help with that. Tony pivots while still holding his lip out and replies to the clerk. You can? Really? You see it, right? 
I keep writing it every time that I... The clerk walked past Tony, completely disregarding his question, pulled out her badge and scanned it on the register. Looking back at me, she said, You're clearly over 21. Thanks to the apparent splotches of gray in my beard, she made more of a statement than posing a question. She walked away, saying nothing else, all while avoiding eye contact with Tony, who was still holding his lip down, awaiting the advice he thought she was about to offer regarding a solution for his cut lip. Oh, thanks, I guess. I waved back at the clerk, even though she did not respond or turn her head. Being that I don't usually have a habit of purchasing alcohol, it had slipped my mind that I would need to have my ID checked. Distracted by Tony's request for a remedy, I had not realized that the pay now option was blocked on the kiosk when the clerk had come over to verify that I was indeed of legal age, which cultivated a perfectly awkward scenario of misunderstandings, leading Tony and me to think that she genuinely had some unique insight for healing a busted lip. I then simply tapped my phone on the PayNow terminal, allowing a moment for the blockchain to confirm the transaction and print my receipt. I don't think she was offering the help we were looking for. Sorry, man, I said to Tony. Hey, do you have time to come over? This recipe looks pretty easy to make, and I got the dried herbs necessary delivered by drone earlier this morning. Standing up straight and letting go of his bottom lip, Tony replied, Eh, I guess I don't need to hurry home with these treats. Nirvash already destroyed everything precious to me anyways. I suppose I'm not in a rush to reward him for that. Awesome. I'll see you at my place in a few minutes. Handing Tony his dog treats, we parted ways. A wave of anxiety hit as I rolled the grocery cart outside the store with the sound of rattling glass bottles echoing through the parking lot. I took off my coat and threw it over the bottles, hoping it would muffle the noise as I attempted to make my escape as discreet as possible. The faucet of my kitchen sink dripped steadily onto the towering pots and pans, which were spreading from the confines of the sink, having begun a migration like fugitive refugees without a land of their own, setting up their encampments on every square inch of available spare real estate. My kitchen looked and smelt like the morning after an Alpha Delta frat party down in the University of Washington. With every oven-safe microwavable dish in use, the cupboards left ajar, and empty bottles of vodka overflowing the recycle bins. Go Huskies. Beep, beep, beep. The smoke detector had began blaring throughout the house. Grab the hose! I barked at Tony from the garage. The light from the blue flames filled the hallway, spilling through from the open door into the garage. I don't think you're supposed to mix water and alcohol together! Tony frantically shouted back at me. I don't need your logic and reason! Just do something! I panicked as Tony rushed away from the flames in the garage and into the house, hitting the open garage door button as he passed by. Wait! Where are you going? Slam. The inside door between the garage and the laundry room slammed shut, and I was alone in the garage, witnessing the end result of why all the fun science projects should have adult supervision. Whoosh. The bright blue flames continued to make the shadows dance on the garage walls in flashes of blinding light as if a photo shoot for Vogue was taking place. Come on, come on! The garage door slowly rolled along its tracks, taking what seemed like an eternity to open wide enough for me to crawl out. Getting on my stomach, I performed a combination of a barrel roll and army crawl out the small opening underneath the garage door. Feeling like an epic superhero maneuver to me, but to my neighbors watching from their living room windows, it looked 
more like a mildly overweight middle-aged man struggling to get up after falling down. Water, 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 where's the water? Where's the hose? Scrambling to find the end of my hose on the side of my house, I hear my garage door stop moving and go the other direction, beginning to close. No, 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 no! Ah, the garage door must have hit something on the way up, triggering it to go the other way, I thought to myself. I'm coming, Kevin! I could hear Tony's muffled voice coming from the shrinking gap under the garage door as it continued to close. Tony, here, grab the end of the hose! I flung the nozzle end of the hose underneath the last crack of the garage door as it was closing, like Indiana Jones sliding under the falling booby-trapped Aztec and stone door. Ah! Behind the now-closed door of the garage, I could hear Tony's battle cry calling out, Here comes the water! Turning on the nozzle, I see water spraying everywhere out of the hose buried in the grass. Remembering I ran over the coiled-up hose last time I mowed the lawn and got so irritated that I just left it. I hadn't anticipated the need to use it for a life-and-death situation. Tony's shouts grew softer and fainter. Tony! Tony, are you okay? Open the door! Silence. Oh no, oh no, I've killed my best friend! Hurriedly, I began punching the garage code into the keypad on the door, screwing it up three times before I got it right. The garage door began to open slowly. I began pushing and lifting the big door to help it not get stuck again, but open completely, hoping somehow to get the couple feet of shredded hose that was spraying down the side of my yard to reach and spray the fire. Lifting the door above my shoulders, I finally see Tony. Tony? Covered in and surrounded by white powder, Tony stood looking at me. The fire was out, and only a hint of smoke lingered in the air. Holding a cereal box-sized yellow container, Tony plainly said, I noticed you had a big new box of baking soda when we worked in the kitchen earlier. And for alcohol fires, it's safer to extinguish them with a dry agent, like salt or baking soda. Relieved and impressed, I glanced around the room to see if there were any spots that we, I mean, Tony, missed. Apparently, I was of no good use in preventing my house from burning down. Only seeing strips of white powder on the surfaces of nearly everything, like that of a zebra, Tony went on to say, So I just ripped the box open and started shaking it everywhere I thought I saw fire. I think I used it all up though. Walking over to Tony, I turned off the fuel supply to the camp stove we were using to reduce the vodka tinctures before it boiled over and caught fire, causing things to get out of hand. Well, I said, I think the remedy for your lip is done. Sweet, Tony smiled. We let our vodka lip balm remedy prototype cool while we cleaned the garage from the spillage and baking soda mess we had made. After some time, we managed to bag up all the trash and mess in the garage, and we portioned out all the remedies into four ounce bottles. Grabbing the bundles of trash, I said, Hey Tony, that tincture's probably cool enough for us to use. Why don't you give it a try? I'm gonna toss these bags into the garbage cans outside. Okay, Tony replied. Bringing the trash to the bins on the side of the yard, I realized I forgot to shut off the water that was still pouring all over the grass and down the street through the busted hose. Tossing the bags and turning off the hose, I began to hear Tony making some strange noise back in the garage. It sounded like a mix between a grayback gorilla facing another alpha male for territorial dominance and the high-pitched whooping of a lesser baboon. Tony bellowed. Coming back into the garage, I saw Tony with the four ounce tincture bottle. Empty. Tony, uh, what are you doing, man? I asked. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying out the tincture for my lip. It's a little strong. <coughs> you sure we did it right? Tony inquired. Dude, did you just drink the whole thing? I pressed. <laughs> uh-huh. 
<laughs> Tony confirmed. Wow. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's my fault, man. Uh, shoot. You see these little droppers showing Tony the threaded dropper caps for the four ounce tincture bottles. Yeah, you were only supposed to put like 10 or 20 drops on your lip, swill it around where it's cut and then spit it out. It's not a magic potion, bro. Tony looked at the dropper syringe I was holding up and said, that's weird. I, why would you put two? No, three droppers into the top of each bottle. Oh, no. I said, trying not to laugh. I wasn't holding up two or three droppers. Still, clearly, the four ounces of boiled down concentrated vodka was already kicking in on Tony's relatively all-virgin margarita lifestyle, now interrupted with doubled vision. Here, why don't you have a seat? I'll get you a bubbly to wash that flavor out of your mouth. Setting him down on old drummer's throne, I took the empty bottle from Tony, pressed the button to close the garage door, and grabbed some sparkling soda water to sit down and hang out for a few hours until the vodka ran its course. Hey PK, I think it's working. My lip doesn't hurt at all. Take, take a look at my lip, see? Pulling his lip down again to have me see how it was healing up, it was clear that balancing on a stool was not going to be the best idea for Tony right away. Opening a pop-up camping chair with armrests, I helped Tony slide over from the stool and down into the chair. Still holding his lip, Tony leaned back and began snoring within moments. Sleep it off, bud, I said, placing his open bubbly into the cup holder of the umbrella chair. I began sealing and labeling the remaining bottles of herbal remedies before someone else accidentally commences a party because of a bit lip. About an hour later, I finished handwriting the dosing and details on every bottle when... Kevin! It was Tara. She was home from work. Realizing in the chaos of the fire and then Tony's unintentional drinking game, I had utterly forgotten the fraternity-sized mess I left in the kitchen. I'm coming! I called out, slam. The door from the house into the garage opened and closed. Tara stood at the top of the landing, looking into the garage, and asked, Um, can you explain to me what's going on here? You're off work, out sick for a week, and you throw a frat party on day one? Where is everyone? What is that mess in the kitchen? Why are there empty vodka bottles everywhere? And- Oh, hey, Tara. Tony slurred. And why is Tony drunk? Tara asked. I'm not. Tony defended himself. Babe, I can explain, I began to say. Go ahead, I'm listening. Right, well, there was a fire. Not the best starting point to kick off the explanation to my concerned wife. Rightly so, I blew up the house both figuratively and almost literally. And I saved his life, <laughs> Tony interjected. Okay, Tony, I bet you did. Thank you for saving him, but it's time for you to go home now. Give me your car key, Tara politely requested. Why, uh, what, what are you going to do? Tony nervously inquired. I'm going to tell Amy to drive you home. You need to vocally confirm the transaction, Tara encouraged. Pulling his intelligent key out of his pocket, he said, What for? I, I feel great, Tony stated while trying to stand, but quickly sitting back down into the umbrella chair. Tara snagged the key from his hand while he was waving it about, trying to convince her that he was fine. This accidental intoxication was entirely my fault. I don't know if Tony has ever been this intoxicated, let alone consumed alcohol. And poor Tony was the victim, likely unaware of how foolish he looked right now. Tara pressed the garage door open button, rolling up the big bay doors. Holding Tony's intelligent key, she began speaking, saying, Amy, please drive- No, no, please don't tell her. Um, uh. Tony tried to interrupt Tara, preventing her from accessing his personal, artificially intelligent assistant version of Amy. She looked at Tony with a kind, 
but sharp enough look, and he relented. She spoke clearly again. Amy, please drive Tony straight home with no stops or manual control. He's, he's not feeling well and should not be driving himself. Please lock him out of driving access until tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Tony's car roared to life and pulled itself right up into the driveway as Amy's voice came across the car's external speakers loud and clear. Tony's personal assistant Amy had been custom programmed to a Japanese anime version of Amy. Speaking in a string of sentences weaving in and out of English and Japanese, Tony, slightly embarrassed, staggered over to his car as the gullwing doors lifted up and his front row bench seat slid out the side of the door like a futon. Laying down on the bench seat, extending out the driver's side door, the bench retracted into the car as the vertically hinged doors automatically sealed him in. The virtual assistant's voice was now muted, still giving Tony the business from the car's interior stereo system as the lights dimmed and the car pulled out of the driveway and left the neighborhood. Don't. Tara looked at me and stopped me, just as I was about to begin defending myself. I listened to your podcast today. Surprised and relieved, I realized Tara had some context for what was going on here, not coming in totally blind to the situation. The possible reality of me being left home alone to hyperfixate on another side project, mastering yet another skill in one afternoon, thanks to the superpowers of the ADHD brain. I'm tired. I'm not mad. I don't know why Tony was drunk. Tipsy, I defended Tony. Whatever, but it's fine. Can you please finish cleaning up? And we can talk about this tomorrow. I ordered myself dinner since the kitchen was inaccessible. Keep an eye out for the drone delivery and bring it to me, would you? Tara kindly asked. Yeah, uh, babe, I'm sorry. I just... I began to try and explain myself, but Tara interjected saying, No, no, it's fine. Just handle it. Bring me my dinner when it gets here, please, and you can tell me all about this tomorrow. I don't have the bandwidth to hear it all right now. Pleasantly relieved and thankful, my wife decided to listen to my podcast today, mainly because of my lack of communication, giving her a heads up, which was likely the saving grace for both of our sanities. I smiled and said, yeah, consider it done. I, I love you. I got you noodles too, so hurry. I want to spend time with you tonight. Tara smiled at me while the sound of delivery drones started to buzz in the air heading our way. Well, the noodles are on the way. Man, I'm telling you right now, I could go for some Thai noodles, all right? But I'm gonna put that on the side and celebrate simply in the victory that we have released chapter four. Thank you guys for being a part of this journey. I can't wait for the next chapter to come out. I've got a lot of editing and crunching to get some of the future chapters done in time to continue to release. My hope is that at some point through this journey, those of you that are eager, like, man, I just wanna hear the rest of the book right now, that before having to wait every week for every chapter to come out, that you'd be able to pre-purchase the book in its entirety, that you could listen to it seamlessly without any awkward transitions or me talking. But I'm thinking that'll probably be when we have about 15 chapters left of the book out of the 35 total that maybe you could pre-purchase. And we'll look at that at that time. Thank you for joining me as the story continues to unfold. If you want more information about it or you want to go back and listen to previous episodes, be sure to check out 
PKJ and Yahweh podcast, as well as find me on Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. Love you guys. Thank you so much for the support. It means the world to me. If you would like to invite me out on to one of your podcasts to talk about the show or talk about other areas of youth ministry, eschatology, uh, apologetics, or otherwise, I'd love to come visit and share my heart with you. Likewise, if you'd like to be a guest on my show, please don't hesitate to follow me on Instagram and reach out. I have a lineup of a few guests coming up into this uh, winter season and into the new year, and I can't wait to get those episodes edited and launched. We'll see you soon. Thanks and God bless.